So if you've been around uh, for a while, you know that typically uh, I like to start out my sermon uh, with a funny, hilarious even joke um, that you all laugh heartily at, typically. Um, and uh, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. To be totally honest with you, I do that more for me than you. Uh, that the way I'm wired up, there is something about uh, the laughter in a room that just makes me uh, more uncomfortable. And, and so that, that is typically what I would do. Today, though, uh, as I was assembling the sermon and putting in scriptures, uh, I just didn't feel like it, it was appropriate because today we're talking about um, the emotion of sorrow, the emotion of, of sadness, the color, the color blue. And uh, I would say to you that um, I have a leaning toward optimism that I'm not a full-blown sunshine and roses optimist, but I tend to be a person that when I view a situation, I tend to think we're going to win the day, that we're going to achieve the goal, and that we're going to do what God wants us to do. But like everybody, uh, there have been moments of my life of fairly intense sorrow and sadness where the optimism just seemed to fade away. Um, December 20th, 1993, when my mom passed away, It was a period of grief. It was a period of sorrow. It was a period of of sadness. There were times when we were trying to have children, that there were periods of grief and where it's just not working and periods of sorrow and periods of sadness. And you would say, I think, if you're honest, that you're the same way. Whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, right? However you're kind of wired up, you can look back and you can see these moments of your life where, man, that was a period of life where I was sorrowful. Uh, I I was sad. And and this can be any number of things. It can be the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the, the loss of health. It can be any kind of loss that leads you to a sense of sorrow and sadness. And if that's you, I want you to know, first of all, I'm gonna say this a few times in this sermon, you are not alone that everybody experiences these emotions of sorrow and sadness. And beyond that, some of the greats of the Bible, some of the greatest of your Bible have experienced these moments. Let me show you this text. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of the tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry. Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? Have I done something to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth, right? These people aren't my family, right? You know, but why do I have to, why do you tell them to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to your ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They were complaining uh, about a number of things, but uh, they keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. Now check out this prayer, all right? If this is how you're going to treat me, go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Moses is troubled, he's depressed, he's sorrowful, he's sad. And you may remember this story, uh, that the story of Moses leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. And at the time that they left, they left with 600,000 men, all right, plus women and children. And so the burden of a few million people, they were all coming to Moses. The complaints of a million people were coming to him and he is overwhelmed. Just like last Sunday, it's a difficult prayer to read, isn't it? 
you know, God, have I done something to offend you that you would put me in charge of all these people? They're not my family. Why do I have to carry all this burden by myself? He's angry. He's sorrowful. He's displeased. He's depressed. Have you ever felt this way before? Where you're questioning God. God, why would you lead me into this season of life? Why would you put me in this situation? You're questioning the quality and the value of life if things are going to continue this way. These are the feelings of sorrow. They are the feelings of grief. There's another story in the Bible, Nehemiah where God's people had been exiled and they'd spent quite a bit of time in slavery and then a a whole bunch of them got to return back to Jerusalem. So they had lived in Jerusalem, uh, a bunch of them were exiled and then a remnant is coming back to Jerusalem and when they get there, they find that the city has been just absolutely destroyed and word gets back to Nehemiah about the situation. It says, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, uh, I, one of my brothers came from Judah and some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah is in this deep sense of grief and sadness for his nation, that the wall is broken, the gates have been burned to the ground, the city is in disrepair. And he knows, what he knows is that his people have no chance of protecting themselves without a wall and without gates. And so he is feeling this sorrow for his people. This is the type of sorrow that you would sometimes feel uh, when you watch the news, right? Some of you may remember Uh, when 9-11 happened. Some of you may remember uh, when Columbine happened and you turned on the news for the first time. This is that sense of sorrow uh, as you're mourning for your country and you're mourning for people that you might not even know, but that you're hearing about the trouble that they're in. And it can be real, especially in this day of 24-hour news cycle. uh, This can be real. We are given multiple reasons to be sorrowful every week, and we have to learn to manage that sorrow and that sadness. Well, let me show you one more kind of, I want you to just kind of get a picture of that if this is kind of how you're feeling, Moses felt this way, Nehemiah felt this way, and here's what I want you to see. Jesus felt this way. All right, let me put this text on you. Then Jesus, this is right before the cross, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, this is Jesus, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is really interesting to me. Because one of the false narratives when it comes to sadness and sorrow in the Christian community is the advice tends to be this, stop being sad and find joy, right? That tends to be the easy, kind of easy-ism, right? The bumper sticker theology, if you will, right? Uh, The easy thing to say of, well, stop being so sad, Stop being so sad and start being the happy. And the problem with that is that there are some things that are just sad, right? Losing a loved one is sad, 
Divorce is sad. Sickness is sad. Beyond that, the examples that I showed you, and I, I wanted you to see the Jesus one in particular, Jesus experienced sorrow. And if anyone had a reason to feel joyful, it was Jesus. He knew his future was secure. He knew he was going to heaven. He knew all of that stuff, and yet he experiences sorrow. So before we go any further on this, and I'm going to show you a, a psalm that I think is going to be really helpful to us, but before we go any further, I want to affirm something for a minute, that when it comes to sorrow, when it comes to sadness, if you want to kind of squeeze in depression in here as well, this is a complicated subject, right? And, it, and it's not just a subject that surrounds emotions, that there can be a lot of reasons why we experience long-term sorrow, long-term sadness, even, even depression. And so because of that, I want to affirm right from the beginning that when you're talking about the highway of sadness, there are kind of three lanes to it, right? And the first lane I'll put on the screen for you is medical, right? That sometimes there are some medical reasons that, of why we're depressed, why we're sorrowful, uh, and a good doctor can help you figure that out and can even prescribe something to maybe help you. They'll want to look at what's going on with your body. The second lane of this highway is psychological, Right? And this is where somebody can help you think about your background and somebody can help you think about your thinking, a counselor or psychologist. If, if sadness in particular is lingering, if depression is lingering, I've told you this because I always want to remove the stigma of this, that there have been multiple times in my life where I've seen a Christian counselor. It's helpful right? to think through your thinking, to think through why, why is this lingering, why, why is this holding on, psychological, and then there is the lane we're going to be in today, the spiritual lane. Right? So medical asks what's going on with your body. Psychology asks what's going on with your mind. And spiritual says, what does God and the Bible have to say on this subject? Now, you all know this. I'm a pastor. I'm not a doctor. I just play one on TV, right? <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I'm not a counselor. So here's what we're going to do. I am going to stay in my lane. Right? My lane is the spiritual lane. I am going to stay in my lane. I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher. But I want you to know there are two other lanes. And there is absolutely nothing, listen to me, there is nothing unchristian at all about asking, is something going on with my body? Is something going on with my mind? God gave doctors and God gave psychologists big brains to help us all, right? And so, you know, sometimes I think the solution is Jesus and medicine, right? But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not equipped to do that, all right? I'm staying in my lane. So we're going to be in just one lane about what does the Bible say about this? What does God say about this? But I wanted to have this little aside just for a moment to say that you might want to talk to a doctor, right? You might want to talk to a psychologist, but for the purposes of this morning, we're going to talk about what God has to say on the subject of sorrow and sadness. So if you have your Bibles, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to be in the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, it is not going to be uh, the longest sermon in, in, that you've ever heard, but it's, it's the longest chapter. And this is a poem or a song that is primarily about God's word. All right? And each kind of uh, chapter heading of the different verses of this psalm are a different uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet the language of the Old Testament. And so he works his way all through the Hebrew alf alphabet. And uh, we're going to get to Daleth and the writer. I want to kind of give you a heads up of where, of where we're going. The writer of this psalm is going to teach us that when you're in a season of sorrow, when you're in a season of sadness, more than at any other point, more than at any other point, you need to stay connected to God and to his word. 
and he's gonna show us why this is true. And so the advice for today, if you end up falling asleep or taking a nap or whatever, um, I know what happens, I see you, it's okay. All right, so I'm not offended, all right? I I know what happens, but in case that happens, that's what today is, is that in seasons of sadness, we wanna make sure that we stay connected to God's word. And there's some very important reasons why this is true. So let me show you Psalm 119, all right? Uh, Starting in verse 25. This is a psalm of sorrow. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I give an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. So he starts out with saying, I am laid low in the dust. The Hebrew word here, it literally means I am adhered to the dust. I am adhered to the dust. I have been knocked down by life. Right? That's, what this psalm, that's how this psalmist is feeling right now. I have been knocked down, and I have been knocked down, and I am stuck down. I am adhered to the dust. Years and years ago, after my mother passed away, uh, I read a great book that I've recommended to multiple people since then called A Grief Observed. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this journal after his wife passed away from cancer. And I have just found this book to be incredibly honest and helpful on the subject of grief. But he said something, I read that book 25 years ago, and he said something in that book that has stayed with me ever since. He said, I was taken aback, and this is one of the early chapters. He said, I have been taken aback by the laziness of grief. He's like, I have been knocked down and I don't feel like I can get back up. I am adhered to the dust. This is what this, uh, the writer of this psalm is saying. And then he says something really interesting. And this is where the hope comes in. For anyone experiencing sorrow, anyone experiencing sadness, he says, preserve me according to your word. The word there for preservation in the Hebrew, it is resurrection and restoration. So the prayer goes like this. I am adhered to the dust. I have been knocked down. I am on the ground. They are counting me out. I am down on the ground. And he says, but God, through your word, would you resurrect me? God, would you raise me up? God, would you give me hope? And this is one of the antidotes to sorrow. One of the antidotes to sorrow is hope. And so the psalmist believes that somehow through God's word, somehow, even though he is adhered to the ground, that somehow God's word is going to give him hope that resurrection and restoration are coming. This is good news, right? Resurrection and restoration are coming. Think about the stories that I shared with you earlier. The last time we saw Moses, he was praying, God, if you were going to make me lead these people, why didn't you just kill me? Right? That was Moses' prayer. Why didn't you just kill me then? Moses went on to have this incredible moment with God on a mountain. He received his much-needed help from his father-in-law, who helped him reorganize so that he didn't have to take a million complaints a day. Things improved. He was adhered to the dust the last time we saw him, but resurrection and restoration came. Think about Nehemiah. The last time we saw him, he was weeping over the destruction of the city. He was distraught. He was upset. He was sad. He was sorrowful. Did you know that Nehemiah went on to work in Jerusalem? He rebuilt the city wall. He rebuilt the gates. He was adhered to the dust, but resurrection and restoration came. 
The last time we saw Jesus, he was grieving and sorrowful to the point of death, waiting for the cross. And he did go to the cross. He did die. But you might remember this story that we celebrate at Easter. Three days later, he rose again. He was adhered to the dust. He had been knocked down, but resurrection came. And I think it is in times of sorrow that we need to be reminded of this truth that you might feel adhered to the dust. But resurrection and restoration always comes. And the writer of this psalm is reminding us uh, that God's word helps us keep this front and center. That as you're in God's word, you can read through people's lives who, were, who went through difficult times, trying times, adhered to the dust. But resurrection and restoration came. And, and the hope is that as you read these stories of people being knocked down and raised back up again, as you read these stories, here's the thought that the, the, writer of the, Bible, the writers of the Bible hope, hope that you have. It is me too. That this isn't just for them, it's for me. And so that when you are adhered to the dust, you will have this enormous and amazing hope that God is gonna preserve you by his word. He's gonna restore you. He's gonna resurrect you. There is hope in your circumstances. He goes on, verse two. <clears throat> I'm preaching now, all right? And you're not re reacting as well as I'm preaching, but that's okay, all right? So I, I, want you, I want you, if you came in head down, my goal is I want you to leave head up, all right? So here's what he says. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. So he's weary with sorrow. And he says one of the things that God's word can do when you are weary with, weary with sorrow is that God's word can give you strength. And the way God's word gives you strength when you are in the middle of a time of sorrow is it keeps you from deceitful ways. Right? There is a way in which sorrow can be incredibly deceitful. Right? And I have been through seasons of sorrow. I know this firsthand, uh, in addition to God's word. But there is a deceitful way when it comes to sorrow. And I, I want to put just two up on the screen for you. And then we're going to kind of talk about a third in, in another part of the sermon. But sorrow will sometimes lie to us and sometimes deceive us. So here's like a thing that sorrow says. You are all alone. You are all alone. That there is something alienating about grief. You know, I remember after my mother passed away, um, that our house was full of people. When, when, when our house was full of people after my mom passed away, you know what I wanted? I wanted them to leave. I, I did. I just wanted them to leave. You know what happened? They left, and then you know what happened? I was bitter that they left. Right? Um, this is part of the deceit of sorrow, is you feel all alone. It's normal. But what we need to do is we need to anchor ourselves to God's word so that we can call out you are all alone as the deceitful lie that it is. Because in God's word, we read that Jesus made a promise to his church. He said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus wants to whisper you to, for you this one. When grief is telling you you are all alone, Jesus wants to whisper to you, no, you're not. <clears throat> you are not alone. 
Jesus has given you his Holy Spirit. He has given you his church. He has given you his presence. That is a deceitful way of, of sorrow. It is a deceitful way of sorrow that it says you are all alone and you are not. Another deceitful way of sorrow is this. Put it on the screen for you. It's always going to feel this way. And I don't want to beat this drum too much because I talked about how resurrection comes, how new life comes, how strength comes, but it's not always going to feel this way. Right? And it's when we believe that it's always going to feel this way that we begin to turn to things like addiction and trying to escape. We turn to self-harm because we don't have any hope that it's going to get better. Did you know that over the last two decades, suicide and self-harm have increased 25%? 25% increase in 10 years. And this is people that are buying into the deceitful way of sorrow that it's always going to feel this way. And we wanna anchor ourselves to the truth of God's word and not fall into that deceitful way that it's always going to feel this way because we know from earlier that resurrection and restoration are coming. As an aside, if you are having conversations with yourself that involve hurting yourself or self-harm in any way, you gotta talk to someone and you gotta lean into them. You gotta hear truth from them. Truth like you are loved. It won't be this way forever. God has a plan for you. And sometimes you don't have the ability to, to believe that. Did you know it's okay to borrow someone's faith? Right, we don't talk about this a ton in church. Uh, I talk about it a little bit, but it is okay for you to borrow someone's faith. So when I stand up here, you might be, in a, you might be adhered to the dust right now. And you're like, man, I am, I am just down, Steve, I'm down. It's not going to be this way forever. I believe that. Borrow mine. Borrow mine. There is hope. There is resurrection. There is restoration coming. And you you need to talk to someone if you're having those self-conversations right right now. Um, Resurrection comes. All right, let me show you the end of this psalm. He says, "Um, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. I want to take us back real quick, if you'll give me just a couple seconds, to week one of this series. Let me put this on the screen for you. It says, emotions make a great gauge, but not a great guide, right? So emotions tell us that something is going on. They are not meant to be our Lord and they are not meant to be our God. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our God. And so the way of this psalm, uh, it's, it's ending reminding us who our guide is. You notice all the language of that? I've set my heart on your laws. I've set my heart on your statutes. I've set my heart on your commands. He's articulating that God is his guide. And then he says this. And I want to speak to all of you that are experiencing sorrow right now. He says, do not let me be put to shame. I like that line. You know why? Because when it comes to Christianity and sorrow, I think there are a lot of people that are walking in shame over this issue. And I think we have voices in our head that go something like this. If I had more faith, I wouldn't be sad. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't be depressed. If I really believed, I wouldn't feel this way. None of those things are true. It is a third deceitful way of sorrow. And I think you need to remind yourself this morning, if I can be so bold, that emotions are not your guide. Jesus is your guide, and he is not in the shaming business. 
As a matter of fact, can we just agree for a second that the greatest Christian that ever lived was, was Jesus? We named our faith after him, Christianity, right? Um, greatest Christian that ever lived. He was sorrowful to the point of death. So let me put this on the screen for you. I think we need to stop telling people to not be sad and start telling people to stay connected to their God. A, a guide that you won't get any shame from him and he makes a great guide because Jesus knows what it's like to be sad and he could lead you. So in your grief and in your sadness, I didn't come here today to tell you, stop being sad, be happy. You might have some legitimate stuff to be sad about. What I came here to say to you is in your sorrow and in your sad sadness, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to his word because his word reminds us and we need this during this season of life. We need this. His word reminds us resurrection and restoration is coming. His word reminds us uh, um, of truth, right, right? When sorrow tries to deceive us, the deceitful way of sorrow, his, his word reminds us of truth so we won't be deceived. And his, his words give us hope and peace and joy. So we need to stay connected to him. One of my favorite things Jesus said on this subject was this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, if you're my Facebook friend, you, you saw me write a little bit about this truth. I was really moved by it this week because it is the collision of two truths. It is the promise of pain. In this world, you will have trouble. Welcome to Northwest, sorry, right? It is the promise of pain colliding with the promise of resurrection. And I think as we navigate sorrow and as we navigate sadness, I think we need to live in the middle of those two truths, holding them in equal tension. That we're not gonna dismiss pain. We're not gonna dismiss people's pain. You shouldn't be sad. Stop being sad, be happy. We're not gonna dismiss pain but we are gonna remember that resurrection and restoration are coming. It is a tension. We have to learn to live with it. Both those things are true. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. And there is no better example of it than the cross, that there was pain and there was sorrow in the cross followed by resurrection. So Jesus went to the cross. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus went to the cross. He died a death. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Three days later, he resurrected. Both those truths, both those truths were true in Jesus. And they're true in us as well. We've got to learn as Christians to, to be comfortable holding things in tension. That both things can be true. And, and it's when both things are true that we find a, a way of having hope and we find a way of living because we're not dismissing pain and just walking into church acting like everything's fine. You've been to that church, so have I. I don't want to do that. Right? I don't want a, a church full of people just pretending everything's fine. So we don't dismiss pain, but we remember resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. And in times of sorrow and sadness, we need it more than ever. And so I just want to pray for those in this room that are feeling adhered to the dust, knocked down, out, sad, that you would remind us in your word that resurrection is coming, that restoration 
is coming. This is the business that you're in. I wanna pray that we would stay connected to your word so that the deceitful ways of sorrow would not deceive us. That when sorrow says, you are all alone, that our, your word would remind us of what Jesus said. That I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you every step of the way. That when sorrow says it's always going to feel this way, that your word would again remind us, no, restoration and resurrection are coming. They might be just around the corner. So I pray that we would have hope and we would have grace in you. And right now, Lord, as we celebrate a time of communion, I pray that as we contemplate the cross, that this, these two truths that, that, that you promised us, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. That we would hold these in equal tension. That we would accept them both as true. And we would never be a people that just dismisses the pain of others. And, and, but we would be a people that remembers resurrection. And that we would have hope in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to receive communion together. And it is a time for us to remember these truths. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus went to the cross. Take heart, I have overcome the world. He resurrected three days later. And if it's true for him, it's true for you. And it's true for me. And so we're going to celebrate communion right now. We're going to pass uh, the bread that represents his body and the juice that represents his blood. And you can just hold on to them for a few minutes. I'm going to come back up here in just a few minutes and we'll take them together uh, as a church family.